Judah and Matthew are dumpster people, and they occasionally use foul and inappropriate language. Listen at your own risk. Welcome to Brother Date Star Trek's edition. I'm Matthew. I'm Judah. Big Week 114, which oh, I sure is. have named Hollow Eric Foreman. <laughs> All right. That's one thought. And the name of the episode, uh, according to you, meaning the Zoom invite? Oh, um, I do wish to issue an errata, a correction, an apology. Okay. Several times since we have come back from hiatus, we have looked forward at the great, great episodes we have to look forward to, and I have uncritically read an episode title for a Voyager episode that's something like point four nine seven seven three seven something something something. Sure. There's no, there is no such Voyager episode. That um. That's the magic of Excel. Oh, okay. Every time you said that, I thought, totally believable. Yeah, that seems I, like again, something I, Voyager would do. I haven't seen all the Voyagers, but, you know, why not? Uh, no, the name of the episode is 1159. Oh, that's the Indiana uh, one. Fantastic. Can't wait. <laughs> Can't wait you to get, describe you get to that do one the next Indiana week. Indiana yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah oh, yeah, I dude. love that. I love that it's a competition every week. Well, it's not even a competition. It's just like... Every week somebody is celebrating because the other one has to do Voyager because there aren't any good ones. Yeah. There's not one good Voyager. So, yeah, dude, you get to do that one. Congrats. Anyway, good old Google Sheets followed the uh, followed the wisdom, the traditional wisdom of uh, Microsoft Excel mm. and said, well, someone has entered the string 11 colon 59 into this sheet. I bet what they wanted me to do yeah. is assume that that is the time of 11.59 a.m., on a 24-hour clock, and just divide that. Just divide those two ideas. 11 yes. hours and 59 minutes divided by 24 hours. <laughs> I bet that's probably what they wanted, was just a division. They were very close. That is basically yeah. what I wanted. I liked it better than 11.59, for sure. Yeah, so I've put 11.59 in quotes in uh, in Landry here, not because I think it has quotes in the title, but because... Uh, Otherwise, it'll read the crazy... I don't, want, I don't want Google to go crazy again. Sure. Okay. Well, good. So, yeah, I had to, uh, when I realized that this week, I was mad at myself for just reading that all those times and not thinking, that can't be the name of an episode. Yeah. Again, it's Voyager's. That's Voyager's fault. They should be a better show, and then I would go, that's not the name of an episode. But because they're a bad show, I went, fucking Voyager. At it again. Well, for a number of weeks, they have finished last now. (laughs) Uh, Since week 107 when Deep Space Nine... Is there any way without going through and counting? Is there any way to figure out how many times they finished dead last? Uh, Hey, you know, maybe I do keep an array of losing episodes that I use to use all those calculations, but I don't think I have it in print format anywhere. Okay. But I can probably work that out. But just um, because you said that, you know, that's for a number of weeks they finished last. And I thought overall, it's a great number of weeks. Yeah, overall, it is a (laughs) tremendous number. I mean, you could go to the. Uh, to the big chart, yeah, 
and just look at the number of times the blue bar is the lowest bar. Yep. Although the chart's pretty hard to read here in week 114. Nah, I think but, you'd have to go uh, through and count them right now, and I'm not yeah. I'm not going to do it. No. Okay. And you shouldn't. But they're bad. Um, but the they, did, they did lose last week, so that does mean we get to talk about them first. This week, we watched Someone to Watch Over Me. TP says Balana is a girl and can't drive a car, a 20th century car. Uh, Seven is watching them from across the fucking replomat or whatever they call it. The lounge. I don't know. They call it Neelix's place. What do they call that thing? The the galley? Maybe they call it the galley. I don't know. Anyway, she's taking notes on her little pad. Uh, Neelix made some cheese. That's not a euphemism. That's going to come into the B plot. Um... (laughs) Belana confronts Seven about spying. Seven says she's studying human mating, which sounds like she's a nasty girl. Just out there trying to do research on sex. Then uh, she says Belana and TP do sex too loud. And Belana threatens her, and this is the episode, I guess. Credits. Uh, uh, <laughs> she gonna... does. Listen... There's no way to take when she says everyone on everyone in deck 12, section eight has heard you. Mm-hmm. There's no way to take that other than as a jab. Yeah. You do sex too loud. Stop doing sex so loud. Right. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to assume that we can a plot B plot this one. Janeway talks to seven about dating while she gets ready to meet the Cotty delegation. Um, then Seven has to talk to Schmollis about it, and guess what? He's going to tutor her in the ways of love. Fucking D in an A, specifically my A. <laughs> he shows her an informative slideshow, and then we're back at Sandrine's, which is worse than a snake in my fucking bed. This is some bullshit. Oh, yeah. The doctor tries to teach her small talk. And then sends her after a hollow nerd at a table. That's hollow Eric Foreman. It's a real shifty hollow Eric Foreman type. <laughs> That's a uh, Topher Grace for people who didn't watch that 70s yeah, show. Yeah, right. If you didn't watch that 70s show, you don't know who Topher Grace is. Let's also, be real. Also, probably very confused to the 15 times we've referred to Red Foreman. <laughs> That's right. We should have made that clarification back then. Um, t- uh, TP. Um, oh, sorry. Yeah, TP walks right in on this program because big reminder here there is no privacy in the holodeck anyone can walk in whenever they want at least on voyager it's always been that way tp says schmollis is not a good tutor and then they make a bet that he's not going to be able to get her on a date uh because this is my fair lady or a uh, behold a lady or who's that lady (laughs) or whatever I mean, Behold a Lady is one of my favorites. Sure. <laughs> um, then they sing a hokey duet, which made me wretch. You were mad at me later for not warning you that there was a duet, but yeah, there was. I, I mean, I was mad, sure, but mainly I felt betrayed. Sure. <laughs> well, I mean, it was a booby trap that I laid. It would have cost you nothing to warn me. It was a Golden Eye style proximity mine. 
that I left yeah. there for you. Right on the body armor. <laughs> right. <laughs> kind of glitches in and out. You can't see it. It's hard to see it. Uh, hey, man. They're singing their duet. Man, the doctor catches feelings. Again. Always perving on the ship's child women. Yep. Seven gets some advice from Harry Kim, too. Wild that you can't ask anybody who knows about dating. Uh, what are you talking about? He went to that planet where the ladies needed his seed and were only going to club him over the head with the leg of a chair a little. Yeah, so they need, they still needed the seed, so they weren't going to murder him. Right. Anyway, <clears throat> she ends up asking some guy named Chapman out. I don't know if we heard of this guy in the past or not, but I don't think we've seen him. And um, TP says he's like a nervous twit. I, I think he's just a low-rent nard dog from the office. Um. Yep. Yeah, well, you may have been in my notes a little bit this week. That's fine. <laughs> um. I also thought uh, maybe Tom Paris was jealous of him because at this moment Chapman outranks him. Well, most people on the ship do at this point. And you know who definitely does seven of nine. Well, seven of nine outranks everyone but Janeway. It's possible Chakotay, but I think it's just Janeway. Uh. TP correctly identifies that Shmolus is falling for Seven, even without any real evidence. So I think probably just his past behavior. Right. It's kind of a giveaway. Shmolus gives Seven some sexy hair. The hair makes him hard. And I ask again why he was programmed this way. How does this help uh, him as a medical professional that he gets hard when her hair is different? We saw the guy who programmed him two weeks ago, and yep. he is an extremely horny man. Yeah, he did just straight ask that lady. First question. I got first question. Um, I may have follow-up questions, but first question, have you heard of the Kama Sutra? Yeah. She starts to get naked in front of him, and he loses it and leaves. Now it's date night. Chapman's doing pretty well about not being a creep. Maybe he sees the doctor over there spying and playing the piano. I don't know. <laughs> like he probably knows it's a public space. Also, yeah, that's true. Sandrine's is anyone can walk in anytime, so you got to be. I gotta thought be cool. I thought Chapman tried real hard. He he started when he was started off. He was trying hard, but they get big scary lobsters to eat. So fucking yeah. scary, like the world's biggest bugs. And she doesn't do well with it. And now the guy's kind of losing his nerve. And he's like, how about dessert? Or maybe like dancing because you're not good at dinner. And then she accidentally wrenches this guy's shoulder out of its socket while they're dancing. So it's kind of a big L for seven. Yeah. Maybe even a big L seven. Then she makes a mistake and says she likes her relationship with Schmollis better, but uh, she don't know what she's saying to him because he's a borderline predator uh, they decided to do dance practice on the spot and then Shmolus asks Seven um, to go to this ambassador's reception in the B-plot yes the Cotty guy um, she's polite at this thing and she like banters and makes a toast and everyone's really impressed but then TP reveals that it's a big bet between him and the doctor do you think that was intent? Ah, we save that for theory corner. She uh, she hates that and walks out. And on the way, she tells Scott Thompson. I don't know if you knew Scott Thompson was in this episode. He's in the B yeah. plot. Yeah. <laughs> Not Bobo Scott Thompson, who's been in this no. show in the past. Real Scott Thompson. Real the life Scott Thompson. Article. 
being scott like they hired him to be scott thompson it was really good, oh actually. there should they should have had that guy walk by and have scott thompson say it's me <laughs> <laughs> this is an inside joke for the future um anyway she tells scott thompson to eat turds and he loses it and passes out that's in the you'll figure that out in the b plot he's all drunk and everything um she can save him with nanoprobes so it's cool uh, the doctor confesses to her, but she doesn't really get it. But she does accept his apology, so that's nice. The doctor tries again to confess, leaving, like, flowers in her alcove. Because, again, there's no privacy on this ship. I love that you are dedicated to using the term confess, as oh. though that's the way Americans talk about this. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I've been living in the world of Koreans since, like, 2014, so that's that's how I think of it. Um, anyway, he finally just comes out and he says he's got some hard light for this bodysuit and booty. But it's just a holodeck program. And the real Seven comes in, and she at least knocks or whatever, and tells him she's done dating for now. There's no tasty men's here. And she gives him a parting gift. Uh, Schmollis squids it up good and says it was a really fun time. And then he sits at the in the empty Sandrines and plays the piano and sings again. Because he's sad, I guess. B-plot. Yeah. I'm sorry, is that Scott Thompson? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the B-plot is Scott Thompson? Also, oh, this other weird ambassador with Scott Thompson, he played the weird ambassador in Babylon 5 that Ivanova sleeps with, sort of. Yeah, yeah. I recognize this guy's voice right away. Yeah, his face, he's got one of those faces, too. I'm sure I've seen him in other things. I did not look him up. But, oh, uh, I knew instantly another place I'd seen him, also when I heard his voice. Cadbury, Bill's Butler, and News Radio. Oh, we haven't gotten to that one yet. Okay, he's Cadbury. I'll keep an eye out for him. <clears throat> My mind was doubly blown when I saw those two fuckers show up. Uh, you must have loved his turn at the end. Go ahead and describe the, the B-plot. All right, so these ambassadors, they're coming from... The Cotty are like a, a race of real fucking prudes who they don't want to taste nothing tasty and they don't want to see nothing cool. They just... they're uh, That's their uh, character trait. They're boring. Um, But anyway, Janeway's going to go hang out with Old Man Ambassador somewhere and they're going to leave Scott Thompson on Voyager with Neelix to, um, you know... <clears throat> Sample sample Voyager's hospitality, I guess. Um, Scott Thompson hired to play the very pervy ambassador that wants to taste everything. Yeah. This nasty sicko pervert, he just wants to, like, eat a whole table full of the nastiest Federation foods. And then he wants to bang two broads at a time. And he skips third prayer. He says he'll do the penance for it later, but, like, I don't think he does. I don't think he's gonna, man. Now Scott Thompson's at Sandrine's enjoying TP's sloppy seconds. He says he wants to leave the colony and join Voyager so he can perv it up amongst the cosmos. And he's still wilding at his reception, and Neelix is losing his shit, because I guess he still thinks he's going to get kicked off the ship if he does a bad job. And Scott Thompson becomes enamored of Seven... She tells him to debauch some goats or something, and he loses it, and he passes out. See, this is where the two plots yeah, come together. Yeah, they converged. He was too drunk and horny, and he passed out. 
Anyway, it's fine, though, because Seven has those nanoprobes, and they fix him up real good. The procedure is a success, and Scott Thompson is back in working order in time for the other ambassador to return. And the other ambassador's like, it's okay to masturbate, just not too much. (laughs) And Neelix is pleased. Yep. That's the end of that plot. (laughs) Um... What was this episode about? Fucking million bonus points if you can connect the themes on these two. Oh, there's nothing. There's really <laughs> nothing in between the two. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. Uh, maybe the best way to learn is by teaching. Mm. I hate. I hated that Schmollis fell fell in love with Seven. It's not I ideal. It's, I think it's an awful message. It's perfect with everything that we've seen of him and Voyager, though. Oh, it's on form. Mm-hmm. 100% on form. Um, but, you know, he's teaching her about romance, and then he, he learns a thing or two, I guess. Maybe. Uh, it's not much. They just did a Pygmalion slash My Fair Lady. Yep. Slash Behold a Lady slash <laughs> Prototype. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Um, so, uh, I gave it a one. Sure. I gave it one point. This seems fair. Maybe you were able to connect all of the disparate themes here. I tried reading about the themes presented in My Fair Lady and Pygmalion. And, um, those, I, also tried, I also tried looking those up, too. They didn't help me at all with this. <laughs> no. They were not applicable. I guess it's either don't be shitty. Because he's, he's shitty because he makes a bet about her. Or, sometimes you can fall in love with your student, which is bad, but only it's only bad if she doesn't love you back. Right, otherwise... Otherwise, it's cool. Yeah, very cool. And each of those takes is obviously near worthless, and I gave it a one as well. I could see a zero. If you had given it a zero, I would have popped a zero up there, but it's a one. You know, I very rarely give a non-no-take zero. (laughs) Did Uh, you... How about the execution of the episode? Sure. Yeah, I also looked up the meaning of the movie She's All That, but I remembered that that movie actually came out around the same time as this episode, and it probably right, yeah, wasn't unlikely. a direct contributor. It. Yeah. yeah. Look, man, I don't know what to say. Schmollis and TP are terrible characters in nearly every respect, in nearly every episode, as we've covered a fucking hundred times. Maybe 114 times. They're two of the three main villains of the show, for sure. Yeah, the other one's Janeway. There's three key villains in this show. And, you know, Tuvok and Chakotay don't even like each other, so they can't band together. No. No, it's just Seven. Seven's the only audience avatar just going, what the fuck's going on here? Um, This plot's been done a million times before. It definitely does not need sci-fi to get it done. Nope. The B-plot is pure filler, straight from that episode with the weird ambassadors in TNG or any other... Yes, any other Trek episode about a closed society coming in contact with Starfleet and going, This is better! Just no new ground covered here. And other than Scott Thompson showing up as a wild pervert alien, it's all forgettable. Also, because of the 90s, Seven is only allowed to consider a male mate. I just wanted to point that out. Only males. That is true. That is true. Um, I gave it a one. Snake eyes on the front end. What about you? Uh, I mean, I guess I have it one better than that here. 
like you said, Scott Thompson chews it up just exactly like you want. Mm-hmm. I don't want anyone else so perfect <laughs> drunk on a bio bed shouting assimilate me at seven. <laughs> There's no one else. I don't want it. And from anyone else, he's really I would like when it first happened. I was just in shock, and then as the episode went on, I went. He really is the best part of this. <laughs> he's the best part of it. Probably the whole show. He's the best part of all of Star Trek Voyager. Um, and you mentioned that they didn't try to do any sci-fi here. I actually liked that they didn't say oh my god, we've got a character story. We better... There's got to be an anomaly or some kind of new particle that's just wrecking up the place as the B-plot. Sure, the 19th new particle that they've come across out there. So good for them for not trying to shoehorn some shit in there because they were afraid that uh, the geek and nerds would turn off the TV. There wasn't any technobabble in this one. Yeah. I mean, they they did nothing. At some point, at one point, Scott Thompson, or maybe the other ambassador, says well, we're gonna we're gonna find out if you're deserving of our precious minerals, and that's as close as we got <laughs> to any motivation for why they're there. I'm not getting at that point. I couldn't remember whether someone had already said they wanted minerals from these guys, or if this was the first we'd heard of. Them. I I think I first remember. and only. Okay. Uh, when Neelix is freaking out in sick bay towards the end, he says that we're gonna the whole trade deal is gonna be scrapped, and I was like, all right. That's right, those minerals. They want minerals. <laughs> Voyager is always pretty, like, hard up in need of minerals. Yeah. Um, You Are My Sunshine mm. is such a wild choice for a duet. Also, they got the uh, arrangement on it is so, like, fucking... Like they're hanging out outside the caretaker's barn again or something. Uh, what the fuck was that? <laughs> Terrible. I mean, it was just, I'm sure they wanted something from the library, mm-hmm. right? And I guess I'm glad that they didn't just write an original song, but, and then also declare that it's the most popular love song in the galaxy or whatever. <laughs> sure. Well, Star Trek doesn't do that a lot because they love to just talk about existing artists. I mean, that's true too. Unless we're talking about the great bird of the galaxy. Sure. <laughs> Uh, I cannot bring myself to feel bad for Schmollis at the end here. No, he was I'm into a, Kess how old when she was two girl? years old. <laughs> like, emotionally, how old is she? Ten? Right. Yeah, she was nine or something when she was Borged, and it's been about two years that she's been unborged. So, you know, she's young. Just having boobs doesn't mean you're ready to do the wild thing with the hologram. Right. And look, by the way... The doctor's only been alive for five years. <laughs> it's true, but it seems like he was programmed with all of the pervy knowledge of one yeah. Do- Dr. Zimmerman, Engineer Zimmerman. I don't know what his title is. Yes, he was created to be this way on like Seven of Nine. Yes. Uh, anyway, I no longer fuck with this guy, plus he's racist against Klingons. That's right. There's lots of reasons not to fuck with him. Yeah. So... I mean, like you said, the best part of the episode is Scott Thompson <laughs> doing one of his very suspiciously squinting, yes, over-the-top Epicure yes. character. <laughs> yes, any one of it's just an average character from Kids in the Hall for sure. Yeah, exactly. Um, but then at least you got the best guy to do that. Uh, so I'm going to give it as many as two for execution. 
But I love that. I, I love, by the way, one. that we can give three points in execution directly to Scott Thompson between us. Yeah. Because I only gave out one for Scott Thompson. Yeah. Well, he gets three now. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> and um, listen, I'm a one in world building. Yeah. Because we don't learn anything about why Voyager even needs these fucking minerals. We don't learn anything about any part of the universe, except there's a couple of lieutenants on this ship we ain't ever seen before, and how does that make sense? Sure. Uh, the Collective, for some reason, gave seven pipes. They wanted her to be able to sing, I guess. Maybe she just sang, like, Uhura style. They just turned the intercom on, and she just sang throughout the Borg cube or whatever. She just sang vaguely mean things about the other Borgs? Yes, about their, about their weird dongs or ears or whatever. Right. Uh, the doctor refers to her cat suit as dermaplastic garments. Let's fuck that guy. Uh, which suggests to me that he intended for them to be... Part of her skin. Form-fitting. Oh, okay. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, skin shape, skin molding, something like that. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, and again, Voyager needs minerals in a way the show has no interest in explaining. I gave it one point, and it's kind of... Honestly, it's kind of a pity point for world building. Yeah, I mean, really, the only reason I even gave it one as well was Species 8472 has as many as five as, sexes. As five sexes, they think, yeah. And, and that and nanoprobes just do anything at all. Just anything. Anything you want. Nanoprobes will do it. Yeah, on this show they do. Otherwise, it's all Alien of the Week stuff. The Cotty hate spices. They like bland food. They're... It's like the fucking 50th time we've had that alien. Um... Yeah, there's not much. Just a one. <clears throat> Does it make you, in retrospect, uh, feel better? Or maybe you already liked this, about that alien race that was so insulted on Enterprise that they ate in front of them? It's not that I liked that plot line. It was the only thing I respected about Enterprise that they kept going back to it. Oh, yeah. That they, that they went back <laughs> to that well like three different times where they're like, these fucking guys again. Not only did we offend them again, never going to come back later for the big apology, and that goes bad or whatever. So, like, I I admire that they were willing to do that much continuity and and spend the continuity on a joke, because you're clearly not supposed to give a crap if those guys are offended. Or also, what about um, characterization? Yeah. yeah, Seven is very curious about the wild thing. She thinks music is interesting because of the maths. Also, Jerry Ryan was rewarded for her debasing toil on this show by being allowed to sing again this week. Yeah, they let her do it in uh, World Vichy, France, and yeah. they <laughs> they let her do it here. Yeah. Seven comes to the appropriate conclusion that all these people are worthless and, and definitely she can't date any of them. They're terrible. Uh, the doctor tutors seven before falling in love with her. He gets to sing too. Will he ever pass up a chance to date the women with childlike qualities on board? TP is a sleazy fuck, as always, making bets about seven's ability to not eat a man's brain out of his skull after mating or whatever. And the doctor tells TP, I can't date my student. And DP just ignores call him DP there and TP just ignores it and pretends he says that they can't date because they're hologram and Borg which I thought was very convenient <laughs> he literally just said to you I can't date my student and he's like come on there are stranger things than a hologram and a Borg and it's like that's right. not what he said 
Yeah, that ain't the problem. <laughs> don't pretend like you don't understand the actual moral problem here, you piece of crap. Uh, Kim takes it pretty well that he's not on the list of mating candidates, maybe because he never expected to be on it. Plus, he gets to shit on her other candidates. Yeah. Oh, he does immediately turn to, well, maybe I can gossip about these people. Mm-hmm. Is there any way I can get in on that? Uh, Neelix still thinks he might be beamed off the boat at the next stop, so he's worked up about this mission. Spends the whole episode hand-wringing because Scott, you know, Scott Thompson... <laughs> Scott Thompson's a lot. What are you going to do? Oh, yeah. Actually, in real life, I would be pretty worried as well. But this... They sent me the most perverted alien in the galaxy. Even though all he's doing is eating a sundae or whatever, something about it is so bad. Uh, a three for me. Uh, Seven thought love was a weakness a couple of weeks ago. Yes. She changed her mind at the end of that episode, and I guess immediately got to studying. She studied, and there was something in there about doing sex, and she was like, let's, let's, let's hear more about that. Okay, well, hang on. <laughs> something about that. <clears throat> I don't know. But uh, don't worry about that being an arc. This week, everyone gave her bad advice, so she's out again. Yep. She don't care no more. I don't know what puberty is like in the space future. Mm -hmm. It's probably pretty wild, if your mom's like not the ship's doctor and keeping it all tamp down <laughs> I um, I don't know it feels like you still gotta wear those onesies until you're like 17 and a half and I don't think anyone's attracted to anybody in a onesie in the original Marissa yes right the original the original Marissa Marissa Pink whatever you want to call it or like Marissa Gray Marissa Tope um, but no one in this show understands Seven's level of experience and emotional maturity and it is frustrating. Yeah. That uh, she she's like, uh, yeah, Belana got mad at me because I've been uh, snooping around and listening to him fuck and stuff like that. And Jane was like, sounds like you want to date someone. <laughs> okay, hang on now. No, no, no. And it sounds like she does actually need to learn more because uh, she's very yeah. curious and that's something. But like that definitely means she's probably not ready. Yeah, maybe there's a pamphlet or something she could start with. Look, man, I don't want to be the um, I don't want to be the conductor that told Ravel that he didn't understand Bolero. Okay, <laughs> but the reason that no one in the show says anything about her childlike state is because the writers don't know what they wrote. <laughs> they don't know that she is childlike, even though they wrote it on purpose. So they're like, "Well, she's good to go. Look at the boobs." I mean, I don't understand what you're saying. I can see your butt crack. She's good for. She's good to go. I mean, I definitely believed that at some point, one of the writers said to the other one, if there's grass on the field, play ball, if that's what you're saying. <laughs> that is what I'm saying. Terrible. Oh. Um, Terrible. Do you, like, do you like Neelix as the straight man in a story arc? I mean, I don't. I just understand <laughs> his petrification when that guy's like... When he skips third prayer and you go, oh no, he's uh, he's gonna get his dick stuck in something. I think. <laughs> what am I gonna do when I gotta call Schmullis because this ambassador's got his dick stuck in something? Neelix is gonna be like, he made me replicate a vacuum. <laughs> I told him we don't even use them here. He said we just we just wave a wand over the rug and it's clean. And he tried it with his dong. And he didn't feel anything, so he said vacuum. 
Tom Paris is a creep who makes bets about people's romantic happiness. I don't know. How many times can I write that uh, that Schmella's cold sucks a Peter? <laughs> yep. It's true. I gave it a three. Well, we were pretty close on this one. What about quick hitters? <sighs> the Cotty don't approve of spices or spam jelly. They flip their <laughs> shit if it touches them. <laughs> I like that. It's a good personal comparison here, but I was just going to say that they also call things non-bread. <laughs> well, they definitely do call, call them non-bread, non-bread for sure. Uh, hey, in theory, scored a lot of points on the rubric, right? We should do one of those. <laughs> Let me just go back and look that one up. Gotta look up in theory. Mm-hmm. That scored a big fat 15. <laughs> yeah. An 8 and a 7. Yep. Um, oh, I actually did write it down here. Toman will determine whether you are worthy to receive our minerals. <laughs> I hope at the end he said they were. He got to do all that pervy stuff. Hey, when the doctor shows Seven that slideshow, whoever put to that training slideshow together mm-hmm. exactly nailed the photography. That yep. is exactly how your annual sexual harassment training photos look. Yeah. It definitely had an early PowerPoint look to it, for sure. Or or like community college catalog photography. Sure. Like but it was it was exactly correct corporate photography. I liked that aspect of it. Maybe add another point. Execution. Do you think Tom Paris showed no. Do you think Tom Paris showed up uh, at Sandrine's because he gets an alert whenever someone loads that program up? And then he goes there to make sure that nobody goes um, no, <laughs> nobody goes out into the woods because that's where he keeps his old pornos. Hey, I, uh, I, I just was passing by the holodeck. Thought I'd uh, stop by and see what's going on. You guys are hanging out in the confines of Sandrine's, correct? Yeah, no one stepped yep. outside. No that's one's cool. Well, there's no reason the to. I didn't program anything out there, so, you know. Yeah, no, no. There's nothing. None of the logs out there are hollow in any way, and I, would, I wouldn't even worry about it. I'm going to go hang a sign over by the door just so people don't waste their time going out there and just say it's out of order. It's out of order over there, so... Uh, anyway, it's a cool date, though. Matt, what do you suppose Seven of Nine keeps in those space dumpsters in her uh, bedroom? I I really don't think they let her have all that space to herself. I'm pretty it's sure not those hers, huh? space dumpsters are maybe some minerals they picked up, or like, oh, maybe the minerals are gonna go in the space dumpsters. I don't. Was know. there a, was there like a C plot that we didn't see where? Uh, Janeway and Tuvok were providing a distraction down on the surface while Harry Kim was secretly beaming up their precious minerals. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Nessie, I'd be way into that C-plot. Throw that yeah. in the episode. Some piracy? That's good stuff. Hey, wild acoustics in Cargo Bay too, huh? Yeah. It's, uh, they were goosing them. <laughs> they goosed him a bit in there for sure. Uh, I don't know, did the doctor say he specifically chose Cargo Bay 2 for it? No, that just happened they to be where that. they were when they had that conversation. Okay, sometimes they, they're like, oh, the acoustics in here are great. And you go, in the Jeffries tubes? Okay. You say so. All I'm saying is they were goosing them, and yep. this is an honest show. And when we sing, we don't goose. <laughs> we goose them. What's the big deal? Should I do my oh quick boy. hitter? Uh, I refuse to accept that there's a full lieutenant on the ship that we've never even seen. 
even wearing regular Starfleet pips, not Maquis ones. I just wonder how many, um, how many departments there are, and like how many people they need to, like, ostensibly promote to like run teams and stuff. Like, I wonder if they're just like, we just need more lieutenants to run some shit, to be in charge of some of these other idiots. And so, like, people are just getting promoted in the background, and like, technically they're a higher rank than TP, but like, you're never gonna fucking see them because they're just yeah, in I charge of four ensigns on deck seven or whatever. I don't know. I'm just saying. Uh, when I see something like that, I just think, we've never seen this guy before. It's the fifth season. We've seen a lot of dead extras, for sure. How many fucking extras have we got on this ship? Matt, even when they get, let Seven of Nine get out of that cat suit, even when they let Jerry Ryan get out of that cat suit, she doesn't get to wear flatter shoes. They've got her in four-inch heels, yeah, no matter what. The rest of that outfit was like... There's a lot of weird shit going on with that thing they had her in on that date. But yes, they still had her in the giant heels. Isn't she tall already? What's the point? Yeah, you would think so. Just trying to make Chapman feel bad? I said about Chapman that he looks like Ed Helms, but he had much more of a Chris Parnell energy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. A young Chris Parnell would have crushed that role. (laughs) Exactly. What was he doing? Leo Spachemin on that date. (laughs) Uh... TV writer's favorite tale, an emotional 10-year-old succumbs to the charms of a bald, overbearing creep. Yes, indeed. It's autobiographical Neelix, for these guys. Neelix is very worried about the effects on Scott Thompson's system of synthanol. Yeah. What's synthanol? <laughs> it's not the same thing. Is that a new one? Is it different from synthahol? What is it? I was real surprised uh, when we got to the party and Chakotay was there. <laughs> hadn't been in the whole episode no in fact he's not doing anything important he's just partying yeah oh he just he's showed up because he heard in either plot. he heard there were drinks that's right i definitely want my medical caregiver making decisions based on whether or not they're going to get in trouble when mom gets home yeah Hey, Neelix, well, you're responsible for him. You decide whether we should uh, fill him all full of nanoprobes, which he definitely considers sinful. <laughs> um, well, I don't want to get in trouble, so let's do it. Maybe Schmollis was kind of secretly feeling a bit guilty about the stuff that he was doing in his <laughs> plot. And that was affecting his judgment. Because we know he's like, his judgment is very easily impaired. Like, even his medical judgment. So... Maybe it was kind of leaking in. He, he needs to learn to leave his personal shit at home, is what I'm saying. He does. Maybe if he had a home. That might help. Maybe he should beam himself into some quarters. Yeah. He'd probably just start showing up in Bellana's shower and be like, this is my shower now. <laughs> I live here. I live here. I live here. You let me know when you're going to shower. I got mad that they ended on a song, too. That's not good. Um, Directed by Robert Duncan McNeil. No. Yep, 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 yep. Uh, here's a direct quote from Memory Alpha. Oh, you did tease that you were going to give me a wild yeah. quote. <laughs> Robert Duncan McNeil appreciated this episode's focus on the cast. Quote, it's a real actor show, he said. What? So I felt particularly excited, being an actor, to work <laughs> on a show that really depended on the performances and the subtleties that the actors could bring to it. McNeil also felt that his own character of Paris had... Some really great stuff to do as an actor. <laughs> hey, bud. 
I know we haven't always been kind to you on this show. At no point did we ever say, is that guy an actor? I don't think he's an actor. (laughs) I don't think he is. I think he got lost and just roamed onto the set or something. (laughs) Hey, we know you're an actor. We know that was it. We know you were brought over to this show because they liked your performance as another character in another show. They liked you as piece of shit in that other episode, and they said, we need a piece of shit. Hey, hey, we should have one. Um, anyway, he seems to be very nervous that he won't be considered an actor anymore now that he's directed this one episode of Voyager, huh? That was so. That was a baffling number of actor uh, yeah. appearances in that in that paragraph. Wow, that's too bad. Poor guy. Um, I gave best actor to Scott Thompson, shouting, "Where did the funny man go?" <laughs> and I gave worst actor to uh, Harry Kim, trying to muster it up about how he plays the clarinet. Mm, yeah, so that don't write him off. He plays the clarinet a so little. She might want to put him back on the list, but she did not yeah. want to. No, she would do. She'd been she down was... that road, and he got so scared. She tore the whole list up at the end. Yeah, it's true. Oh, Matt, you have any? I know you did the description. Oh, just one. Seven's hair was clearly already like done up before that scene where she shakes it out. You could tell it looked different in the back before he touched it. That's all. Well, yeah, it's because the thing is you can't really do that. Yep. You can't go up to a woman who's had her hair in a tight bun for 16 consecutive hours and then let it out and fluff it once and then it just looks like that. Man, I'm not, I wouldn't be sure she ever takes it out of the bun. It could no. be for uh, two straight years or something. I don't know. Does she use the sonic shower? How does she like get clean? Yeah, just assume the alcove does that. The alcove just <laughs> just cleans her up. Maybe some nanoprobes. I don't know. Yeah, oh, probably nanoprobes. They probably just keep her clean and keep her hair lustrous. <sighs> that was it for me. All right. Well. We got through this Voyager in only about 40 minutes this time. That's, That's pretty tight. That's pretty tight. Bad. It's because we had so little to say about world building, I think. Um, yeah. So second place last week was Deep Space Nine. Uh, this week we watched Business as Usual. By the way, I would be very surprised if you didn't A-plot, B-plot this one. Uh, I did indeed A-plot, B-plot this. <clears throat> Teaser's always fair game, though. Anything anything can go in the teaser. Uh, Dax and Quark are playing Tongo, but Quark is distracted by the terrible stock market or whatever exists in this part of space in this time. He's uh, super broke, and he needs a lot of money in like a week. And just then, Cousin Gala walks in. He once tried to kill Quark, but now he's here to offer him a job. Help entertain clients of Gala's weapon sales business and uh, like keep them happy and everything. And um, and then he gets a cut. Quark is desperate and agrees. Credits. A, pl- a plot time for sure. Yeah. Uh, Quark nervously looks out for Odo at the bar because they're going to meet one of Gala's clients. And the guy walks in, and it's a British creep. And they see some hollow product in the sex room, now repurposed to be like a weapon sales floor. Probably still smells in there, though. It's probably all luby. Uh, he sells some shit to a... I don't know, I couldn't tell if the guy was an Aussie alien or what. 
<laughs> but he was fucking great. I loved him. We'll get back to him later. And uh, Barash, or whatever this evil Brit's name is, says he transferred Quark's commission directly to some of his creditors. He can't uh, have a salesman with financial issues. So until uh, until he pays all his debts off, he's not going to make any money. Uh, Odo walks in on some Umoks, which is fine, because they always just do it out in the open anyway. That's true, it's not a secret at all. And he arrests Quark, you know, because of the weapon sales. But Sisko and Kira come in to save him. It turns out this guy Gavin, or whatever his name is, the British guy. Haggith. Sure, Hag, yeah, yes. Um, Hagrid. R.I.P., R.I.P., R.I.P. Uh, he sold weapons to the Bajora during the occupation, so he's like an old friend, and they don't want him in trouble. That's what they prefer to be called. Yes. <laughs> I mean, that's what I will always call them. Quark gets to um, watch another salesman get canned in the next scene. This guy gets super fired because he's golfing or whatever instead of selling. It was on Risa. Yeah, there you go. They probably got golf there. Hover golf. They probably golf. do have golf there. Laser golf. I don't know. Later, Quark's in his bar, which is very quiet now that Cisco and Starfleet are apparently blackballing him for his um, extreme lack of scruples. Gala comes in and says he'd like to step back and like retire and let Quark manage this relationship with Hagger from Final Fight. Yeah. That's right. That was pretty good. Um, also, that salesman that was fired earlier, he died. His ship blew up under mysterious circumstances. So, you know. Maybe there's a couple of reasons Gala wants out. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, Dax isn't going to give Quark the time of day anymore. Now that he's a... You know, we'll talk about it, but like he he did once sell her to somebody. So... <laughs> Seems weird that she's... She goes, oh, she got over that okay, but she's not this happy is the about, one. Not happy about these weapon sales. <laughs> anyway, um, Quark prepares for some regent's arrival, and that regent turns out to be Cyrus Redblock, whom I yeah. named my son after. <laughs> so this made me happy. This regent wants to kill about 28 million people, which yeah. makes, it makes Quark nervous. It, I mean, I'm sure we could talk about it again, but when he says he wants to wipe out the city that this former general of his is based in, mm -hmm. and Gala asks the question, so how many people are you looking to kill? I thought it was weird that the guy didn't look at him and go, I mean, that's not, that's you not understand, that's not how I thought it. I didn't sit down and think, hmm. But it turns out this guy totally did so. Good good read by Gala. This guy yeah. was like, Gala's I was expert. thinking 20 initially, rising maybe to 28 million. <laughs> yeah. Gala read this guy like a fucking book. He's like, oh, this guy's going to be interested in the, the, the fucking stone cold numbers here. Uh, Gala gives Quark a pretty sick pep talk about how many damn trillions of people there are out there. And so who gives a shit about these 28 million? And um, Quark has a bad dream about it. You know that's gonna wreck. That's gonna go into the scoring. I know. Hey, who's the first person in the dream? The person who you think maybe is the most important person oh, to him, well, or he's most worried about? The most important person in this episode for sure is Ben Cisco. Is that who's first? It's not Jake. Was Jake not the? Oh, it, might have, it might have been Jake. I think it was I know Jake, Jake. Was in it? Uh, maybe it was Ben Cisco first, and then Jake second. You know, his two yeah. favorite people. People he's very worried about yeah. their safety. Um. 
Yeah, it's a bad dream all about it. Uh, all the characters are dead, and it's because of him or whatever. Uh, Quark breaks into Dax's quarters to give her a Tongo table. Tongo game, Tongo wheel. And um, she tells him to bathe in shit. Um, I guess he's trying to tell her he's going to find a way out of this relationship with Haggith, but she doesn't let him finish. Uh, Quark tells Haggith he can't get the bioweapon that they were going to use to kill all those people. He can get, like, some other ones. That'll be pretty good. What scheme is he running, we think, at home? Uh, Quark has invited the region's mortal enemies, the Palomarian Freedom Brigade. He wants to sell the new weapon to both sides, he says. And during the demonstration for Regent Redblock, he pretends he can't open the sample. Gala leads the Freedom Brigade right into the same room the region is in, and the two sides, I don't know, murder each other a bunch. Quark is happy. At home, we are puzzled. He sits right outside the hallway just listening to people gunfire and people running in. And just sits there like, now I've done it. I did it. <laughs> I, I'm, a, I'm a good boy. Quark just explains the whole thing to Cisco. Yeah. Who... I guess, isn't going to put him in jail? No. Even for all of this. Quark just has to pay what it will cost, in quotes, to fix the cargo bay. Dax and Quark are buddies again. Somehow. A lot of good TOS laughter at the end of their little scene together. B-plot. Jesus. Can't wait. Yo, O'Brien can't get Yoshi to sleep. That's his second baby. Keiko's out of town. Jake offers to babysit, but Yoshi will only calm down when O'Brien's holding him. So he's taking him to work with him amongst the station's many exploding consoles. Yep, a very safe place to work. Some just shoot lightning. You never know when there's a computer virus or just like a bomb strapped in the computer sometimes. (laughs) That's right. Some of these shoot lightning on the regular. Like, why would you do this? Yep. Anyway, great call by him. Um, also, anyone from any universe can beam right into ops whenever they want. <laughs> just kidnap whoever and take them yep. back. Yep. No one's son has ever been kidnapped on this show nope. before. Nope, not at all. O'Brien even takes Yoshi to play darts. Again, no notes. Great parenting. Bashir examines Yoshi, and there's nothing wrong with him. He's just a sad boy. Yoshi falls asleep in ops, which Cisco finds distracting, so he offers O'Brien more time off. This plot was beyond nothing. O'Brien gets a visit from Worf, the latest to say, where the fuck is that useless chief? But big surprise, Yoshi doesn't cry when he's put down this time, and O'Brien falls asleep in his chair. That's the fucking plot. Yeah. Great stuff. What was this episode about? Ten trillion bonus points if you can connect the takes. (laughs) Oh, boy. Um... (laughs) All right. I guess there's something very vague in here about not knowing where your limits are until they're really tested. Like, Quark probably thought he would do anything for money, and now he's finding out there is a line he won't cross. Sure. But he's not introspective about it, so we don't know if the line has always been there, if it comes from his time working with Starfleet or his unconventional brother who is maddeningly absent from this show. Yeah, you'd think that would be a good guy to talk to for Quark. Uh-huh, yeah, you'd think so. Um, so not a clear take at all, and I'm going to give it two points for themes. Yeah, 
I have a similar take. How far would you go to live the life you want? Yep. For Quark, it was somewhere shy of being involved in the planned death of 28 million people. Yes. But it's like somewhere above selling thousands of weapons that will realistically be used to kill thousands of people. So they could even blast like a knight in um, dwarven armor. That's right. Dwarven armor. <laughs> That's right. I saw that. That's a good demonstration. So it's not great. It's not like it's great for Quark. But anyway, it's the take I came up with. Um, I mean, the examples in this episode are so extreme that it's hard to use them as a cautionary tale. And otherwise, it's just a question. So I gave it a yeah. two. Uh, you fought You fought big for Phage. And yeah, Phage that was, was a... What that was a gonna, different What one. would you do to survive? But yeah. you're right that they make a big specific point in this episode of Quark has his debts paid off right up at the top. Yeah. So everything that happens beyond that is because he wants to be rich. Yep. That's why I said the life you want instead of exactly. like to survive or whatever. Cause yeah, he was going to be making so many millions of bars or whatever. Uh, execution. <clears throat> I really wonder if the audience of DS9 is supposed to be so morally reprehensible that we're just supposed to forget all the Quark stuff that keeps happening. Yeah. Or if it really is just the writers that are morally reprehensible themselves and they think this is all fine. But man, Quark's pretty terrible and he just keeps hanging around. <laughs> He's not a good guy and they keep doing nothing about it. Cisco says he has to pay for the cargo bay. Yeah. He should have just said we don't have a we don't there's no crime on the books. There's no law on the books if it's your crime or whatever. Yeah, that's the big the big punishment at the end of this episode is Quark's back in debt again, except it's debt to the Federation that Cisco can waive at any time and also probably doesn't really expect to have him to ever pay. Yeah, it's I was unbelievable that he what he did sell lots and lots of weapons in this episode. Anyway. Yep. Uh this B plot, man. I guess it's just there to lighten the weapon sales plot, but like they only spent nine minutes on it or whatever, and nothing happens in it. Just scrap it. It's absolute mm -hmm. trash. It is the maximum amount of lightness you can put into a B plot. It's the <laughs> lowest conceivable stakes. It's just nothing was happening. My baby's crying a lot, and that's a problem that all parents have with yeah. all babies, but <laughs> right. it's TV worthy. Because Keiko's out of town is the convenient thing. So he's I think gotta... you mean Professor O'Brien? Oh, please stay out of my notes, you fuck. Okay, sorry. <laughs> All right, well, I guess I'm just going to have to update my Merle. Because it's not getting it done. I'm um, sorry about that. Anyway, I thought Quark was going to have, like, this cunning plan, right? To get yes. out of this thing. But Gala goes, well, what if they run into each other here on the station? And Quark goes, uh, don't worry about that. And then he just runs them into each other. Yep, and that's, that's it. That was the whole plan. That's the very obvious plan that he goes with. The one that Gala goes, why don't they run into each other? And by the way, he's 100% convinced that that was all he needed to do, too. Yeah. We learn at the end of this that Haggath and Gala both survived and are on the run. Yeah, and he and seems Quark, fine with that. Quark's fine. He's not moving. He's not changing his name. Nope. It's, um... Cisco even says something like, uh, I don't think you'll have to worry about them anymore or something. And I just went, why? 
Uh, you think they're going to be killed soon? Are they going to be killed by the Freedom Brigade or whatever? Anyway. This might be the craziest instance of no punishment being handed out in Star Trek so far. He sold so many weapons to evil dictators and shit in this episode, then arranged for a big firefight in which I'm sure countless people died. Yeah. And then obviously they killed each other after the firefight too, and Cisco hands him a bill for 575 self-improvement <laughs> credits? Uh-huh. And the episode ends? That's the cost of one pretty good tuba. <laughs> I just I couldn't believe it. Yeah, man, I gave it a one. Um, Not a winner. Well, good news. We are still in lockstep. I also <laughs> had given it a one. Uh, directed by Siddig Elfadil. Oh, man. Um, that is the name he goes by when he directs. And, oh, well, but, but even though by this actor. point he had changed his acting name to Alexander Siddig. This guy has like 15 or 16 names, so fuck it. Yeah, I no. get it. How many, but, qu- uh, how many quotes were there about being an actor? He didn't talk about being an actor <laughs> at all, as far as I could tell. Okay. Uh... Yeah, so I had, I mean, almost the same note as you. I assumed the B-plot is supposed to be lighthearted and low stakes because of the horrible seriousness of the A-plot, but it gets so little time and it's so unimportant that it would have been better left out entirely. Yeah, we did have the same notes on that one for sure. Uh, They should have used the time instead on Odo, who has to eat a big face full of shit (laughs) when Bajor (laughs) insists that Haggath has to be allowed to keep selling weapons and where's his sense of justice? Why is he out of the show at that point? Yeah. He is the logical person for Quark to turn to instead of Dax also. His best friend. Uh-huh. Uh, there are a couple of other problems. It cuts from one Quark and Hagath scene to another Quark and Hagath <laughs> scene to a third Quark and Hagath scene. Like a montage, but with distinct scene transitions. Yep. Um, it's frankly incredible that Quark isn't worried Hagath is going to send someone to kill him at the end. Yeah. Jake's on the call sheet. He's in one real scene and one dream scene as though he's had enough interaction with Quark after season one for Quark to even remember his face. Yeah, for sure. Um, so it was a bit of a mess overall. And then I had to subtract two points for the nightmare. <laughs> so it's a one. Yeah, it was a bad one. This wasn't a good one. Come on, DS9. Uh, look what the score that Voyager just posted. Come on. This was a real fucking stinker. Yeah. Well, world building then. Um, well, there's a lot of fancy guns. Some of yeah. them get names. Yep. One guy who bet on Bajoran Freedom Fighters 10 years ago, but we'll never see him again. Uh, O'Brien remembers that Bashir is genetically engineered. Oh, good. Um, it's hard for me to see where a point would come from this week. <laughs> unless you assume... That that weird demon knight that gets blasted in the hollow suite represents a real thing that could happen in the world. <laughs> so I did give it zero. The idea of that would be enough, maybe, for a point. I might, I might give it a point if <clears throat> if Quark had said like, uh, "That's a Tellerite uh, ca- cavalryman or something." <laughs> well, I mean, I have a question. What is the economy? Yeah, it's very it's a very challenging idea. I mean, it's all throughout this episode. People in debt, people getting paid, people owing Starfleet money. I just don't understand any of it anymore. Uh, some alien on board has little winged babies. I don't know what kind of alien it is. Yeah, I wasn't sure if that was a person or a pet or a project thought... like to keep a bag of flour in back <laughs> or something. Jake said that one of like Lieutenant Somebody or something like that. 
I watched we, whatever's babies. That was 40 seconds into the episode, and I was checked out. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you. Uh, Gala can even get his hands on Breen weapons. The Proxinian War is just heating up. Everything with the Regent and the Freedom Brigade. The Bajoran stance on friendly weapons dealers. I have it as a one. I see. Oh, they're scoring so big. Yeah, it's a good one. That's um, alright, though, because characterization... You must give them a bunch of points for characterization. Well, Quark is broke, and he doesn't want to sell weapons, but he does need money, so he'll help Gala. And he doesn't really mind the idea of people dying in the abstract from the weapons that he sells. But once he sees some big old numbers, his conscience takes over. <clears throat> Keiko is a whole professor. Yep. I like you. I did not know that. That seems new. <laughs> Jake thinks he can babysit. I thought he'd be in the episode because he was in the first one in this B-plot, but he, well, he won. It he wasn't. wasn't it. No. O'Brien's going through new father crap. Again, he's had a baby before. This is his second. I don't know why we're acting like this is a big deal. Yeah, we. hey, we see his first baby this week. That's right. Exactly. Professor Keiko takes him to kind of an uh, inappropriate location on the ship. Yeah, I don't know what she's up to. Dax is all cheesed off at Quark about weapon sales. Cisco is a fucking joke. <laughs> it's a one. Um. Yeah, I guess I would. I guess this is the one where I was a little less bad than you. Okay. <laughs> uh, Quark has a line. It's just absurdly high. Yes. Uh, Dax and Cisco, and I guess the rest of the Federation guys don't think much of arms dealers. By the way, was Quark really joking, or if the guy had been like, "All right, we can wound ten million of them," would he have been like, "Okay"? It is very difficult to know whether that would have been enough to mollify him. Sorry, go on. Uh, Worf regrets not seeing Alexander during the one week he was Yoshi's size. <laughs> but not enough to worry about the time he's missing with him now, apparently. Not enough to ever see him again. Not enough right. to ever call Minsk and be like, hey, how's it going? Um, I'm not gets- kidding. <laughs> he will just show up randomly in a season or two, and he'll be 23 years old. And yes, you'll go, what the fuck happened? You haven't even teased me like I never talked to him. He's gonna just say in the show, I don't know, I like I don't know what was up with him. I guess he's yeah. a, in the Klingon military now. Spoiler alert, everybody. I don't know. Like, well, I how am th- I supposed to know? I was thinking about it. This is Deep Space Nine season five. Mm-hmm. Uh that's the equivalent of next generation season ten. Yep. And he was he was conceived, he was conceived in, in season, season two. one. Season oh, two? Season yeah, two. Season You're two. right. It was season two. So conceived like, in season uh, two. So he is maximum Seven-ish. seven years old. <laughs> like, um, I know it's a TV trope. I get it. Yeah, they always age up the babies so that you can do stuff with them, do plots, right. whatever. But come on, man. He's going to show up like next season, maybe season seven. I can't remember. But either way, he's like an adult in the military. Well, look, I I mentioned this already. The, this is mostly an episode about Quark finding his limits. It sucks on ice that Rom isn't in this episode. That's very dumb. Like, Rom is the perfect contrast to Gala. That's right. I mean, he's more of a he's he's a better contrast for Brunt, but Brunt's not in this one. Yeah, I was gonna say Gala himself is a little bit of a non-standard Ferengi, but he does have the sickening greed. 
Right. Like, uh, it just would make so much sense for Rom to be the voice of Quark's conscience in this one. But instead, he's got to go break into Dax's quarters, and then she just keeps shutting her bedroom door on him. Yeah. So, that sucks. Um, Characterization-wise, I gave it a three. Okay. So, woof. Quick ones. Um, Gala can rub his ears and call Dax's outfit titillating all he wants, but 40 years of watching pop pop culture has taught me that someone who speaks this theatrically ultimately isn't going to follow through with Dax. (laughs) He doesn't have it in him, huh? I don't think so. Also, the guy who plays Gala uh, played Raphael in the 1990 movie. And he was the only one of the turtles to both wear the costume and voice the character. I mean, the voice, I'm not going to say it was familiar. The voice was interesting. It was probably easier to talk out of that costume. Plus, I assumed it was all ADR than to have those Ferengi teeth. So I'm not going to say I'm like, oh, that makes sense now. But I was thinking about his voice the whole time because it was wild. Yes. Galo's quite a character in this one. Not played by Scott Thompson, sadly. <laughs> no, it would be a different show. Um, uh, the, there's something going on with weapon sales, but that's not really what I'm worried about, says Cisco. He says, well, is he some kind of fucking pervert? <laughs> Did he come here to perv this station, like, out of existence? What's the deal with this guy? <laughs> yeah, yeah, weapon sales. I know, he's yes, he's a bad guy. But, like, what's... He's, it looked like he wanted to fuck me. He, he, did you see he was wearing sandals and it made sense? <laughs> uh, since when was Keiko a professor? She wasn't really qualified to teach at the station school in season one. They did seem to be implying that. Yeah. Uh, when O'Brien handed the baby to Jake and the baby started crying, I was worried that the baby was racist. <laughs> well, but O'Brien not. is. He's not. He likes Worf at the end. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, and then when he when he I, I thought the expected ending was oh he's gonna make Worf babysit him and leave the room or something because like Worf cause right. he's but no it was just that he had calmed down. He does make Worf babysit later. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> from my description that I don't get to read because you read it, uh, Cisco <laughs> and Kira let Quark know their days of looking past his many many sex crimes are over. Sure. As they are looking past one of his greater crimes. That's right. <laughs> All right, we're not, definitely not doing anything about this thing you're doing. That's just it's just so reprehensible, especially to Starfleet folks. Where where we can't do anything about that, but you better watch out with the lesser stuff. In this dream sequence of his, Matt, they made everybody up to look all ruined and dead. Like they made him look pretty bad, mm-hmm. and then O'Brien comes in. And he just has a five o'clock shadow. <laughs> and I just imagined the makeup guy going, you know what? That's good enough. That looks pretty. That looks right. You know what? I think this is it. Right? You, no you need to have, gild the lily here. You have kind of a natural poisoned there's look. There's something about your face. You don't you just look, look well. poisoned. You look <laughs> like someone has sabotaged your health. Yeah. Well, hey, his whole thing in the dream is that you killed my baby, Quark. Yeah. Because I guess Quark was watching the B-plot. Yeah, Quark was paying attention to that, huh? <laughs> I guess when the baby was crying when O'Brien was playing darts. <laughs> that's, uh, Quark, that's Quark was over behind the conscience. Why did they bring the baby? <laughs> it's even uh-huh. worse than bringing him to 10 forward. Jesus. Morn stopped drinking. <laughs> Don't they know the, the sex rooms are right here? 
Uh, speaking of which, you mentioned that scene where they brought the baby to play darts, and O'Brien demonstrates that if you put him down, he starts crying. Mm-hmm. And they they must not have wa- a must not have wanted to use a real baby, and b must not have wanted to find something appropriate to set a baby down in because they do not show us O'Brien putting the baby down. No, his hands just go kind of <laughs> his hands low. just go out of the frame, and then the baby starts crying, and he picks him back up. And yeah. I was like, they uh, they didn't they didn't want to imagine what a space car seat looked like, huh? No, there's definitely some um, production assistant's hands down there, and that's where the baby went. <laughs> no one wanted to glue a bunch of blinking lights onto a <laughs> car seat. <laughs> that was the worst. That's one of the worst props. The uh, fucking Christmas light car seat. Oh, uh, so here's some theory corner for you, Matt. What if <clears throat> when O'Brien hands the baby to Worf, he doesn't cry because Keiko usually smells like oh, Worf, and yeah. O'Brien's too dumb to have noticed. Well, you know, they got pretty close during disaster. Oh, yeah, they've and, been through uh, some stuff. You know, when he showed up again on the station, and she'd been going through so many hard times with yes. the chief. just kind of made sense. Look, Worf only barely likes O'Brien to begin with. No, uh, they fight on the regular. <laughs> they fight a lot, and then also, you know, like, Worf knows that marriage isn't good. It's not a good one. Everyone He's not breaking knows, up man. uh not breaking up a real romance here. No, he probably even knows he probably even sense that O'Brien and Kira have a little thing going on. <laughs> Maybe so. he even does, yeah. Anyway, uh, like when, the, uh when Worf holds the, Yoshi, the baby's <laughs> like, Oh, that smells like mama. I like how that was not even we just talked about how that wasn't even a part of this episode. This B plot was so worthless and nothing and they spent no time on it. It's nothing at all. But that's where the theory corner comes from. <laughs> I mean we, that's just what I thought right away. We cannot help but track O'Brien <laughs> through time. Uh, this, this week's TNG as well, a big O'Brien episode. Yeah, so like I said, Worf says, I never saw my son at this age, and it's something I will always regret. And O'Brien doesn't say, well, where's Alexander now? You, and you how old call is he, him. eight? You yeah. can just call him now. And and you don't want to live with him now for some reason. Just see, like, how he's doing. Is it you know? because you pr- you really only like babies and you don't care about eight-year-olds? Is Maybe it because he's a, fuck- a little fucking liar? Yeah, I was on the Enterprise. I know about it. <laughs> you could just call him right now and, like, tell him he has a cool backpack or something. I yeah. mean, it's not that hard. <laughs> Just uh, call him up and let him talk to you about all his favorite Pokemons and stuff. You don't—he doesn't care if you don't know. He just gets to teach you if you when don't he, know. About when he him. when he invariably asks you what your favorite one is, just say Bulbasaur. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Really doesn't matter at all. Uh, and then Worf doesn't give Yoshi his bottle that O'Brien had walked over to get. He just puts it in O'Brien's sleeping arms and walks out. <laughs> so presumably the baby is going to be crying again soon. Very soon, because it will be hungry. It will be hungry. Jesus Christ, dude. He's not dad of the year, is what I'm saying, Worf. No, we already knew that about Worf, though. Uh, hey, Dax, uh, Whisper and Writing Quarks here must be like Ferengi's second base, right? Oh, yeah. She gets right up there. It's uh, ASMR pervy nonsense. Uh-huh. Or else. Probably some, nasty. Probably some of her nasty spittle got on there. Um, Under Best Actor, I wrote... Uh, Gala sure blows in like a hurricane, huh? <laughs> He's got a lot going on. He does. Hi, Quark. It's me, Cousin Gala. You're like, what? What? <laughs> Who's this guy? I want him back next week. Um, For worst actor, the last thing Cisco says in this one when Quark asks for an installment plan is, works for me. <laughs> what the fuck? What was that delivery? 
you fucking he didn't even know what episode he was in, man. He's just he's only there barely ha- in it. There hasn't been one about his character in like fifteen <laughs> weeks now since Cassidy came back or whatever, and he's like, I don't know. I <laughs> go there, I say Guys, the lines, I toss a baseball honest, around. I've lost the feel. I I don't have it anymore. What's my character? What who is he? What does he do? Works for me. Works for me. What? <laughs> Excuse me? Oh, <laughs> uh, I'm out of quick hitters. Do you have any? Yeah, well, I had best actor candidate, that maybe Australian alien who blasts some shit and goes, Oh, nice! <laughs> that that was... dude is excited like he saw a motorcycle. <laughs> that guy was... <laughs> that guy was so amazing. I need him back in Lacarian City Nights. <laughs> I need him to show up in that fucking show. Yeah, he could be selling arms or something then. He was so good. Oh, I laughed. I had to pause. It. I was laughing so hard at that guy. I was like, man, they gave that guy two words. One of them was awe. Did you like when he said two motorcycles with a little house in between them? <laughs> All right. Nice. It's one of my least favorite skits. Sure. Um, that's it for me, man, because I did the description. <clears throat> well, that's exciting because we only have one more to do. Two great episodes so far. <laughs> the winner last week. Somehow was TNG with yeah. uh, Conundrum. This week we watched Power Play. <laughs> the Enterprise is exploring an M class moon of the planet Mabu 2. 6. Okay. Mabu 6? I don't know. What did I write? The Malibu band. 6? I'm going to be real. I don't know. <sighs> Supposed to be uninhabited. You you never hear that when it's uninhabited, though. <laughs> this time, to be. this time, what's happening is they're picking up a fragmented distress call from the surface. Uh, it seems to be coming from a Daedalus class ship, a type which has been out of service for 172 years. That's uh. Well, we'll talk about it, but as usual. The math hadn't really been worked out in the TNG years. Uh, yeah, so, well, that's post-Archer. Yeah, but they're like, later on, they're like, the Essex was lost about 200 years ago, and I just did the quick math, and I was like, oh, I don't know about that. That seems pretty tough. Yeah, so they look it up, and uh, sure enough, the USS Essex disappeared in this sector, was a Daedalus-class ship. Captain by Captain Bryce Schumer. 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 We'll talk, we'll talk about it. Which one mm-hmm. it is. Uh, Picard's ready to move on since uh, presumably the crew's been dead for 200 years. But Troy has been creeping closer and closer to the view screen during this scene. Just like slowly moving closer and closer. Mm-hmm. And she tells him that someone's down there alive. Did you ever see one of those videos where like... Like, hey, someone's like, hey, watch this video, and you watch it, and it's like a person juggling or something. And then the video's over, and they're like, did you see the ape? And then, yes. And you go... <laughs> I've seen the basketball video that you're referring to specifically. <laughs> and you go, yeah, no, I, I saw the ape. But they're like, oh, I didn't see it when I watched it. <laughs> and you go, what, the big ape that showed up in the middle of the video? The ape that just walked by in the background? How could you not see the ape? And they're like, oh, it's like a trick. It's like one of the, like your mind's so focused on the other thing. You don't see the ape in the background. I was like, I definitely saw the ape. Anyway, I mean, to be that's fair, like Matt. Troy in this scene. She just keeps <laughs> creeping forward, and no one seems to notice that she's doing anything. But, like, you can tell. <laughs> Well, I noticed. 
<laughs> um, to be fair though, Matt, if there was a cool uh, boy band music video where they had a good <laughs> choreo at one part, an ape could walk through the back and you'd miss it. Oh, maybe, maybe, maybe if it's, I don't know, something from um, very, very. They got well, there the you choreo. Go. <laughs> After the credits, they're gonna go down. Troy said there was someone down there, and now Picard yeah, is really, obligated to do his fucking job, and he She really it. fucked him harder this week, man. If she had just gone, nah, you know, it's probably nothing. Yeah, and then, it's true. Everything would be fine. It's true. And they can't even beam down there and look around and come back up, because there's too much electricity or some fucking thing. So, mm-hmm. uh, Riker, Data, and Troy, I guess because it's her problem, head on down in a shuttle. The littlest one, actually. They picked the little tiny bunk bed shuttle. Yeah, because it's so shaky. Yeah. The littler ones actually survive better because of the big shakes. Well, not this time, Matt. It, uh, <laughs> it biffs it hard. Yeah. Uh, they start up on the ship. They start trying to find where the shuttle went down. Uh, while down on the ground, they, uh, they're fanning out in a big lightning storm. Riker has a broken arm, but Troy and Data seem fine. Um... There's all this sparkly lightning in the clouds. Troy is sure that they're coming. That's them. Sure. O'Brien tells Jordy that he thinks he can beam down there, bring him, bring him down a set of pattern enhancers in their cool mm-hmm. carrying case. Um, Jordy thinks it's like a 50-50 shot at best, but Picard... Mm. It's Picard weird. knows that O'Brien knows... Maybe a little too much. <laughs> it's <so>. we- <laughs> well, maybe, yes, that is Picard's motivation for sure. But it's weird. Does O'Brien insist over and over again that he has to go down there, even though Jordy keeps telling him he's probably going to die? Yeah, well, he does a couple of times, yeah. He it's loves re- his new wife suspicious. and baby. Anyway. It's very suspicious that he insists he, he is the only <laughs> one who can go down there and save I can, him. I know I can do it, he says. Anyway, mm-hmm. he does make it down there. They set up the glow sticks, but before they can beam up... Uh, they all get hit by dang old lightning, and while they're unconscious, uh, these four orbs come drifting down like they're going to impregnate Troy. Right, three orbs and O'Brien's flashlight. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you're saying. <laughs> yes. Anyway, the one that's over Riker doesn't like something about him, so it yeah. fucks off again. Could be his broken arm. They suspect that, but I don't know. It could be anything. And he, uh, this one's too to... dumb. I'm not going in here. Nah, 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 nah. <laughs> nah I'm gonna wait for the next one. This guy, this beef wit, no way. Uh, I didn't see the guy who went into this uh, lumpy Irish one, but it looked like one went in him. Did you guys see it? You guys hey. didn't see it. I swear there was a light there. I think one hey. of our buddies is in there. Hey, did you hear what the robot said to him, sir? There's a lot of lightning, and he looked <laughs> at him and said, "Meaning." <laughs> I'm not going there. Anyway, Riker's able to activate the pattern enhancers. They all beam back. The camera zooms way in on Troy, and she wakes up with a scream and knocks everything off of a nearby stunt cart. I don't know why that cart was there or what was on it before she hit it. Doesn't seem like it was in in where you'd want to walk, I think, so. All I I know is if Crusher walks by there later and there's a hypospray on the ground, she's going (laughs) to fucking lose it on Nurse Ogawa. Alyssa Ogawa's gonna be uh, crying in her sonic shower that night (laughs) I don't know what I did she's gonna say (laughs) anyway everyone's okay Dana has a weird little hiccup in his speech processors that should terrify everyone (laughs) 
but doesn't. I would have got up there and been like, oh, well, keep up the good work, Commander. And then I would have been like, computer, seal the turbo lift doors. Fucking electrocute everything in there. Execute program data. <laughs> uh, <laughs> instead, Riker's worried about Data's weird insistence that they begin scanning the planet from the uh, radical South Pole. It's so cool down there, he says. They've got Baja mm-hmm. Blast. Anyway. Yep. Troy is making the same pitch with Picard, but like a human being. Mm. Um, but before she can convince him of anything, uh, Data and O'Brien just go full mutiny. O'Brien yeah. even shoots Ro with a phaser. Yeah, there's some phaser stuff going on in that one. Riker manages to transfer command of the ship to engineering, which causes the three mutineers to leave the bridge. And then as soon as they're gone, he just transfers it back and tries to trap him in the holodeck. So these guys aren't the best and brightest, it seems. Yeah. Uh, not holodeck. Turbo lift. Turbo lift. Traps him in the yeah. turbo lift. Did I write holodeck or am I just can't read now? <laughs> Which well, am know. I? <laughs> Work's been tough now these days. <laughs> they so stop- tough that you can't tell whether you should say I or I'm. Right. On the bridge. <laughs> They managed to stop the turbo lift car on deck 13. Look, man, I get it. Now you're operating on my level. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> That's what I liked last week about Conundrum. This is that everyone was on my level, and now you're there too. 7 a.m. meetings. It's dark when I start my work day, and it's dark when I'm podcasting now. So. Yeah, there's nothing worse than that. Your second job, I mean, taking up the rest of your evening. Worf and Lita Alexander roll up on the <laughs> turbo lift car. Bro, um, she was so conspicuous. Marjan was watching and went, is that Lita? <laughs> I was like, yeah, you got it. And you said, yeah, this is like her eighth or ninth appearance, but yes, this is the one. So she's in it all the fucking time. Like, she doesn't have a line in this one, but like, you could tell she almost does. But she gets shot, so that's pretty she good. She gets shot. Uh, they just find com badges in there, and... I don't know. Like, it's a real problem in this episode. What do these people who have taken over these bodies know, and what don't they know? But... Yeah. Um... This is on Worf. Worf has been fooled by this combat trick about 10 or 15 times now. Yeah. Just keep making the same mistake. Like, in the film room the next day, it's going to be pretty brutal. Yeah, it is. Like, there's going to be a thing where Picard t- where Picard says to Worf, uh, now I don't want to tell you how to do your job. It only takes five additional seconds to say the person, not the combat. <laughs> and the computer can do that. That's right. It is capable. <sighs> The three chodes are actually on deck 10, mm-hmm. and they show up in 10 forward, where Keiko has brought her fussy baby to the delight of everyone. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, Worf comes in. Troy starts blasting everyone, including Worf, and he f- finds himself at the end of Troy's dust buster. O'Brien's able to keep them from beaming the people out. Data reverses the force fields to lock them in. We never learn the names of the people inside them, so I'm just going to keep saying the uh, yeah, the character names. Uh, Picard begins attempting to try to negotiate, but Troy knows his playbook somehow. And um, Data tries to pick a fight with Worf because he's high on, like, android adrenaline or something. <laughs> I think just the shittiest guy managed to make it into Data. He does. Well, is he the shittiest one? Oh, I, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, that's right. We'll check on our theory corner later. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Troy demands that Picard move the ship to a southern polar orbit, which he does, but very slowly. 
Mm-hmm. He tells Ro to get out and push if she has to, but it has to be as slow as possible. Right. Beverly says that the team's transporter patterns, which someone asked her to check, I didn't write down who, were all full of anionic energy. Oh, damn. Which I was, she thinks, when she started When she started that sentence, I thought she was going to say anaphasic, and I was like, uh-oh. Well, we I know about that. those guys. Um, she thinks it might be another life form superimposing itself on their brain patterns or some horse shit. Right. They all theorize that it didn't happen to Riker because he was probably in pain from his broken arm, and mm. they never come up with a second theory, and they act as if that is true. Yep, and they don't apparently suspect Riker in any way. Nope. <laughs> so if he just uh, near the climax of this episode just turned the phaser on everybody, they would they would be pretty vulnerable. Yep, the Enterprise would have taken a big L just because he was able to keep his cool for one additional minute. <laughs> That's right. Um, so their plan now is to hurt everybody, whoever they can get, doesn't matter, with something called a plasma shock. Hmm. Because the TNG writers didn't know what plasma meant. No, well, obviously, based on all the various usages of plasma. Yeah. Picard calls back and offers to trade himself for the wounded crew, which Troy accepts. He gives Riker a cryptic little note about if the plasma shock doesn't work, he'll provide him with another opportunity. Mm. But meanwhile, in 10 Forward, Molly is crying. And O'Brien comes over and says a lot of creepy shit about, I know who you are, and I know what this is. And he doesn't go so far as to say, and I know that I hate you, but it's subtext. (laughs) Picard gets there. Troy introduces herself as Captain Bryce Schumar of the Essex. Yes. She says Data's her first officer, O'Brien's her security chief. She says their consciousness has been trapped on the moon for centuries, and they have to escape this torture. Uh, The Essex crashed, she says, but just as the ship was torn apart, they were all struck by lightning. And you know how that goes. Their consciousness was absorbed into the lightning. (laughs) Picard tells her that if she ends this hostage situation, he'll give her whatever help she needs, but she doesn't trust him. She tells him the easiest thing to do is just go along with her demands, which she says are pretty mild, but then she also doesn't say what they are exactly. Yeah, they're secret demands. Jordy and Roe have crawled up into the ceiling, and they set up their little uh, plasma shock telescope or whatever the fuck, yeah. but it's actually going to take like an hour to calibrate, so <sighs> I don't know. I don't know if there's a manual aiming mode they could use or what, but... <sighs> Picard's got time to chat down there, I guess. Yeah. He uses that time to go over and tell Worf in a pretty normal conversational tone of voice that he doesn't believe this is a Starfleet captain or Klingon zombies. And here he's done a thing (laughs) where he has asked Worf if the Klingons believe in zombies and then he throws it right back in his face. (laughs) Oh, they do. Well, that's pretty dumb. Well, that sucks. You guys are idiots. Also, your quarters stink. (laughs) I went in the other day and I wasn't going to say anything, but right now I don't fucking care. Smells like donkey dick in there. At this point, at this point, Troy tells Picard they're going to the crash site to beam up their skeletal remains for a proper (laughs) burial so that they can be put to rest. Including the dogs. Skeletal dogs. (laughs) Including the skeletal dogs. (laughs) Um... But at this point, Picard has decided 
he's not going to cooperate unless they release the hostages. So mm. Data threatens to kill one of War for Keiko, but he's real theatrical about it, just whipping the phaser from one to the other and saying choose and stuff like that. And at this point, Jordy and Roe make their attempt. But wouldn't you know it, it misses Data. Well, he, it takes as long to fire the thing as it does to calibrate it. It does. He stands in that circle for quite a while. Uh, he picks uh, Picard up by his throat like he's the fucking Undertaker. <laughs> uh, and chokes him until he tells him to abort. Uh at this point, the, they've arrived at the South Pole. Scanners can't find any sign of the Essex down there. Uh, but Troy says, don't worry about that. We're going to send you the exact coordinates of our remains to beam up. Jordy doesn't know what's down there either, but it also doesn't matter because the transporters don't work. Yeah. O'Brien thinks he can fix it, but he has to be physically at a transporter pad. And now Picard offers to help them get to a cargo bay. And he calls Riker and he says the word opportunity really loud. <laughs> Just like if Jordy was in command, he wouldn't have to say it this loud. Did he say it as loud as the guy in the Babylon 5 episode where the one from two we, weeks ago? Where wait, about the chain of command? About, <laughs> follow I, the chain I of command? I suggest you look on this as an opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the answer to your question, Matthew, is yeah, that's exactly what he does. <laughs> Uh, opportunity to resolve this by letting them get to Cargo Bay 4. They take Picard, Worf, and Keiko as hostages. There's a slow, dramatic walking scene, but they get there without incident. And then Picard asks Troy how they intend to achieve the rest she says they want. And when she doesn't have anything to say to that, really, he asks her directly to tell her who they really are. Don't worry, man. She's got the whole story queued up. Uh, Jordy throws up a neutrino field so they sure. can't beam out for a couple of minutes and Riker hopes that's long enough for Picard to play his hand because he's figured it out. He's sure Riker chose uh, Picard chose this cargo bay so it can be decompressed if it needs to be. Yeah. Uh, Troy tells Picard that they're like psychic prisoners who were sentenced to a weird storm existence and that they're going to use the bodies of everyone on the Enterprise to escape. But at this point, Crusher floods the cargo bay with this containment field they've whipped up. And Picard says, it's over. Uh, everyone in this cargo bay, all your buddies, we're all gonna, you're all going to be killed. And the orbs leave the crew. And Worf beams them back down to live in the storm. Troy tells Picard about the experience of being taken over by these creeps. While uh, Data and O'Brien, who... Um, have more guilt about the whole thing, apologize. Mm. The end. Matt, what's this one about? Mm. Cool people. Just the, the cool ones? They die for their loved ones. <laughs> sure. These idiots win the day because their big brag is, we'll die right now, son. Don't even worry about it. We'll die 50 times today. We were already talking about a big suicide pact before any of this shit went down, so just give us a reason. It don't have nothing to do with you. <laughs> we're just ready to fucking die. Like Tupac. Like Biggie. Like Tupac and Biggie. So that's nothing. What do I do with that? Yeah, it's hard, huh? I don't know. It's a, uh, it's a one for me. Um. Well, for me... It doesn't mean anything... I had been studying it for seven days. I had the computer analyze it. 
I swear to you, it does not mean a thing. I'm glad we haven't used that take before. <laughs> I spent um, almost 24 hours kicking this one around. Uh, if you go and read about this episode, well, you know what, uh, we'll make this a little impromptu quiz for oh. you. Hmm. Oh. Quiz time for Ryan and no one else. Yes. Torture for Judah and Matt. This is quite the plot twist for Ryan at home. I may assume he's the only listener. Probably. Uh, Matthew, which Star Trek writer and producer was proud that this show contained no theme or idea and was all action? <laughs> was it um, uh, Rick Berman? Oh, I'm sorry. Brand- Brandon Braga? It's Brandon Braga. No! My second joy. <laughs> yeah, that's right. As bad at this as I am at A Plot, B Plot. Otherwise known as the guy who drove Ronald Moore away from Star Trek. Come on, Matthew, lazy, good for nothing, never did anything in your whole life. So, yeah, he bragged that this was not an idea show, and um, but I, sometimes they do one accidentally, so I still fucking thought about it for basically a whole day, but uh, Yeah, again, no. these guys don't know what they wrote. Yeah, no, just nothing. <laughs> this is just a hostage story with no, no message. Agreed, yes. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. So that's a big zero. Yeah. No, what and, about uh, ex- eczema cuche? Yeah, you know my policy, so I'm not yeah, going yeah. to uh I'm not gonna have too much to say about how you know how points are scored in this section. Hey man, honesty is the dopest policy, I know. But I do have some thoughts. Alright, let me hear them. Um, for me. This is a much more interesting episode if this is the crew of the Essex. Sure. Like then Picard gets to wonder what's caused them to become this way. Is there something about the absolute desperation of a torment that you can't escape even by dying? Or maybe like Janeway, he gets to confront the idea that Starfleet has changed over the centuries. And, Mm. you know, instead, this episode ends up just all questions. How do these guys, these prisoners, know anything? Oh, what do you mean questions? Uh, Didn't you hear the part about (laughs) Uxmal? I did hear about (laughs) Uxmal. I thought that that was pretty tidy. I answered all my questions. I heard when Troy said, uh, we come from a pla- planet called Uxmal. Don't worry about that. <laughs> uh, I was too busy putting her down as a candidate for worst actor at that point. <laughs> well, Uxmal is a weird delivery for sure. Uh, how do these guys know anything about the Essex crew? How can they inhabit data, but not just like the ship's mm-hmm. computer, which would solve mm-hmm. all their problems? <laughs> yeah. Why don't they switch bodies once they get on back on the Enterprise? Uh-huh. Why is Picard so sure that opening the cargo bay door will do anything to these energy patterns? Right. Um. So, yeah, at the end of the day, I'm glad I don't have to give them points. Because it would have been hard to. <laughs> they just get their no-take zero. But maybe you liked it a little better. Yeah, well, okay, here we go. We only learn what the bad guys are in the last scene, and we don't really get the full story about what they want and why Picard's willing to die to stop it. My no, we get guess... way less of it than with Armis. A right. very similar idea. My guess was that each of their homies would also have to take over a crewman. And then like, that's what Picard is worried about, but it's not well explained. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, all in all, it's some extremely isolated trouble that nobody will ever think about again after today. Um, this shaking shuttle rig looked so bad in 2022. Really you could, bad. You could tell that when they did the remaster, they did some work on the outside, like the stuff coming in through the windows and so on. But yeah, mm-hmm. there's not much you could do with what they got in camera on the day, huh? The part where they spin the camera around to make it look like the shuttle went upside uh, down. Yeah. That is, uh, that is like if Starbug was crashing in Red Dwarf. <laughs> Did the um did the main bridge have a light out or something? It looked super dark and murky up there this week, even before they get to that planet. They probably did lose a light or something, and then they were like, well, we're not losing a day waiting for the lighting guy to come <laughs> fix this. It's That's just right. dark today. We gotta shoot 400 of these things this season. TV is different in 1992. Every eight or nine days, they do a dark one like it's overcast. <laughs> We've just never seen it before. Okay, so these two meat bags and data made it through the shuttle crash, but no other equipment did. No, the shuttle was completely trashed. A nacelle was ripped off. Uh, no equipment survived the crash. But yeah, you're right. But the humanoids the s- are just like, I got a bum arm? Yeah, the 1980s Volvo seatbelts kept <laughs> Troy safe. It's crazy. It's not Troy's first shuttlecraft, so maybe she knows how to duck. Oh yeah, t- you know, tuck her head down real good or whatever. Assume crash mm-hmm. position, but yeah. just goes limp and thinks about Devonani Rawl or whatever. <laughs> Why the dramatic pan, like closing in on Picard when Troy gives the entirely expected reveal that she's Captain Schumar? Yeah. Well, first of all, like, obviously, man, that's the only way it could go. So why are you so shocked? But then it's so expected that, of course, it can't be true. So then I ask, why the big pan? Yeah. Uh, This one was not directed by a cast member. (laughs) Okay, so I can't blame Riker or whatever. No. Uh, These aliens go out like punks. They just go, oh, well, you got us. (laughs) She she does. She tells Picard, Mm. don't cross our path again. You got us. (laughs) I mean, look, Jordy, I have typed it as Gertie here, but Jordy had indicated that O'Brien and Data could neutralize their dumb neutrino field in a couple of minutes, but neither one of them tries to. No, they just stood there jawing. They just fuck off back to the planet. Yeah. I don't know, man. It's a two for me. Hey, look, these were just some prisoners. I get that, but they seem like evil geniuses. Well, no, but they seem like... They have a plan, which is weird that they have a plan. But They seem like they have the ability to take over bodies, if you ask me. <laughs> That's mainly what it is. Did you hear I said it was a two? I did. I did, and I wrote it down. What about world, world building. building? Yeah. Dataless class starships have not been seen in service for more than 100 years. Captain Schumar of the Essex... Well, Captain Schumar and the Essex were lost 200 years ago, so like... Why is the not- Enterprise hanging around there? Not long after Archer's time, so, yeah. like, they already had Daedalus-class ships, and they were already way the fuck out here at the, uh, what do you call it, Abu Dhabi 6? Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, the Enterprise could already go warp 5. I don't know, man. That feels wrong, but okay. Um, how weak are some of these stun settings? Dude, yeah. Worf and Riker each take a couple of hits, and they're basically immediately fine. It's like these guys know how to lock out the transporters and the computer and do force field shit, but they don't know how to put the phasers on setting three. <laughs> they couldn't do it. Uh, the transporter array was taken offline and put into diagnostic mode, it is said. 
I know I've never heard it referred to as the transporter array before, but yeah. Plasma shock is painful, but doesn't cause permanent damage. The weird psychic penal colony. I gave it a one. How about you? Well, I gave it a four, but Ooh, there's a ton. But I wrote all the same stuff as you, so now I got to <laughs> so think about it. It was just a matter of how we felt about it. What yeah, a- I was really, I was very confused about the Daedalus class and how long ago that shit came into existence. I guess. Yeah, what else did I write? Uh, you can lock out the transporter controls remotely, including the transporters in the shuttles. That's right. As long as Ro thinks she's going to be you sneaky about that. Have that uh, ability transferred to your neat little bar station. Uh, easy access Jeffrey tube Jeffrey's tubes. Okay. Uh, Klingon possession. Sure. <laughs> Has that been in SDO? Are there Klingon zombies? I mean, the, there's all the stuff about the Fickleary, but I guess we'll talk about them when we get to Barge of the Dead pretty soon, huh? God damn it. Who's, whose responsibility is that? It's Deep Space Nine, is it your, isn't it? Oh, no, is that Voyager? No, oh, that's shit, it is definitely Voyager. a Voyager. Uh, it's an odd-numbered one, so fuck me. <laughs> no, it's fine. You're better prepared. You know more of the STO stuff I behind guess. it. You're kind of an expert on the Barge of the Dead. All right, well, I guess I gotta knock it down to a two. What can can I say? This space war. (laughs) That's extremely rough. All right. Characterization then. Yeah, I don't know, man. Um, Worf is smart enough not to fall for Data's dumb baiting this week. Mm -hmm. Plus, he gets the message out that they can't be stunned. Yeah. Plus, he's not so weirdly confident that 200 years of being stuck in an energy cloud wouldn't make you nuts. So I guess Worf's pretty right on this week. Yeah. Uh, Picard and Riker are on the ball, too. Sure. Um, but it's weird that these three aliens can get such firm control over the ship, even with Data and O'Brien's sort of memories. Like, O'Brien barely recognizes Keiko, but he sure knows how to lock out the transporter. So is the Sounds crew right to competent me. or not this week? Yeah. So I'm going to give it a four. Okay. What about you? <clears throat> yeah, I had O'Brien was less shitty and useless this week, at least in the beginning, and as a result, he got zapped and aliened. <laughs> or did he? Or did he? <laughs> Look, all the stuff he says to Keiko in 10 Forward, I believe in my soul that O'Brien acts like this at home at least twice a week. <laughs> when okay? he's not trying to do a weird gaslighting thing about racism, you're probably, <laughs> you're probably <laughs> right. Um, Data? As always, as fucking always, is vulnerable to the same shit as everybody else. These aliens can't enter arm-broken Riker, but yeah, they can get... Yeah, he's in a little bit of pain, Matt. I mean, <laughs> think about it. But they can get into the metal man with all the Christmas lights inside him? Yeah. Picard gives such a great look when Riker suggests shooting everybody and sorting it out later. It's a look that says, I was trying to talk to Jordy. Because he's not dumb, and he's a better commander than you. But he doesn't want to get into it, so he just gives a look. He's just kind of, like, not excited about managing people. No. No, he thought he picked Riker to do that, and then Riker's the problem, so. Oh, I mean, that's what Picard says about Jordy. (laughs) He's just sort of not into managing people, so he likes, you know, he likes working with machines. He plays down at the warp core. Alien Troy says the crew values Picard's life above all others, and I don't believe that to be even remotely true. Uh, the fucking mutineers? The mutineers yeah. club that Picard's assembled? 
now featuring <laughs> Rolaren? <laughs> well, not only that, like, well, every fucking civilian is out there. Like, man, uh-huh. if the if the Borg ever come back, I wonder if they'll take me instead of Picard. I'm gonna run up there and I'm gonna make them take me instead. <laughs> Or maybe the fucking red alarm klaxons begin and they all start running to the bridge to protect Picard. No, man. Save Picard. What? What is she talking about? He's the best of us. <laughs> maybe Riker and Worf. Like, that's all I could think of. Yeah, the the particular orphans on the senior staff who view Picard <laughs> as their dad, maybe. Yeah. This bullshit about how they view him as more the most important life or whatever on the ship. That was some nonsense. Um... Worf, as you said, is better in this one. Doesn't do anything to overtly lose the day for the good guys, which is very rare for him. Yep. And fuck, he's happy to die right this fucking second. Just test him. Just fuck around and find out. He'll die right now. And my room is full of things designed only to kill me. Uh, Honestly, if I get a little sad, I go to my room and I say, I'm not strong. I'm no longer strong. And there's 50 ways to die in there. I have a special poisonous two-part epoxy. (laughs) That I use in case I'm not strong, and I leave the bowls out. All the- I'm yep, dusting those bowls constantly. They're right there, ready for me to just fucking finally do yeah. it, which I w- would love to do. Give me a reason. Roe and Jordy are leading the rescue efforts, and that makes sense to me. <laughs> they should just be co-first officers. It should be Picard, and then right below him should be Roe and Jordy on either side in those chairs. Yeah, do you think this is how they get paired up in um, the one where they get the they they, they the next die. phase? Yeah, yeah, maybe. They, I mean, they worked well together for sure. They just they needed something that shot faster because it did shoot two of those life forms out of them. But they to shoot. This ship has so many qualified engineers and also weapon specialists on it. And although this is a hostage situation and they can't get into ten forward, they have full access to the rest of the ship. Yeah. This is not a disaster moment. There's no reason that it needs to be Jordy and Roe on this one. But sure, I mean, Picard no, don't, already don't likes forget, her. The surgeon is up there working on it too. Uh huh. Yeah. Let's get the surgeon on it. She'll she'll know what to do. She can come up with some kind of containment field. So I mean, they don't call Barkley, is what I'm saying. <laughs> That's right. Or even Sonia Gomez or Linda Larson. Yeah. Or if uh, what's that one guy? Around? I don't remember his name. You know the one. He looks like Ferris Bueller, but not quite. <laughs> you, dude, you're not wrong. The guy does look like Ferris Bueller. The one that also can't stand Barkley. That's right. <laughs> but he seems like basically Jordy's number two. That's all I'm saying. Um, not only that, there's uh, what's her name, uh, Ashley Judd. If she's still hanging around, I don't know what she's up to. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Robin Leffler. Robin Leffler. For you know, um, author of Robin's Laws. <laughs> so bad um crusher is also in this she doesn't really do any character work except she seems to understand before the end of record sentence what picard's doing in that cargo bay and gives a look that's it yep um <clears throat> picard was in this a lot i don't really think we learned anything about picard so um but i gave it a five <laughs> i thought the crew was less embarrassing than normal despite the fact that they were pwned once again but I want you to know I was watching this with abject terror because if you had given it a two or a one, it's Voyager's fourth win. <laughs> you like, watching you talked me down a few points during the this episode and, and I was, was just fucking danger. looking at it going, oh no, it could happen. <laughs> but you gave it a five. Yeah, I was not watching it. It wasn't, I, I didn't have my thumb on the scales or anything. I was just, just, just being real, you know. Well, why don't you give me some quick hitters on this? 
Oh, sure. Like I said, Troy could have just let it go, but now they have to go on this fucking misadventure thanks to her feelings. Uh, On the bridge, Worf gets to put O'Brien over this week. Yes. Always gets to put somebody over this week. It was the Irishman. Uh, Like I said, Marjan even recognized Lita Alexander. Dude, Troy goes ham on these extras. He blasted everybody in the room. Some people ate it twice, but I think that was just bad directing. Yeah, she shot people like killing was the only thing she loved, for sure. It was pretty cool. Uh, I had a lot of worst actor candidates in this one. Troy's story about Uxmal was very bad. She's like, we come from a planet called Uxmal. And I just went, mm, no. <laughs> At one point, O'Brien says to Keiko, super robotically, after like a th- th- fucking four beats too many. No! It's <laughs> <laughs> like, what? <laughs> Spiner hammed it up real bad. It wasn't good. Not not a lot of great performances. Um, I'm so glad this wasn't a TOS episode. Because Spock, Scotty, and female guest of the week <laughs> would have been taken over. But they would have pretended they were the real characters, and it would have taken the crew three acts to figure out it wasn't really Spock shooting everybody in the ice cream room. <laughs> they just would have been like, something's wrong with... With uh, Commander Spock. And they would have been trying to figure out why Spock was being so mean to him. And it's like, you fucking idiots. Yeah. They um, just didn't have a Riker. You know? Someone who <laughs> most of the time asks meaning, but sometimes grapplers. <laughs> sometimes he grapplers are good. See, that's why you gotta have someone that came around. He's kind of a wild card. You yeah. never know what you're gonna get. You could get some kind of probe. Look, you want to set things up so you don't need the first officer most of the time. Sure. You know, he's there. He's there when you do need him. And sometimes he'll grappler. <laughs> what I like about him is that he, I said this before, is that he's a team player and that he will <laughs> deliver a plan that no one would ever have done so that Jordy or Data or somebody can talk over his shoulder about the real plan. And then he goes home and pats himself on the back. He said, I did good today. I helped Jordy look smart. Yeah, he's really mentoring, doing a lot of mentoring out there. Mm-hmm. Just an old man's fantasy. <laughs> that wasn't him. You don't have those, to drag him into that. Those are the kind of mentors that you see in Starfleet. That's all I'm saying. I did have a thought, um, <laughs> not while we were talking about the last the last Star Treks uh, on the air, but when I was listening back to that, I did mm. wonder if uh, some of Riker's complicated emotions about Ro Laren, uh mm. during Conundrum have to do with the complicated emotions he has about Commander Shelby, who I assume is a Vice Admiral by now. Oh, yeah, she's straight to the top. <laughs> uh, Yeah, it could be. Look, man, he's all mixed up. You know, kind of sh- shows him up, does things a different way from the way the Enterprise crew does. Mm-hmm. Uh, is a woman. Is a woman. Yeah, I think that's true. Uh, I mean, by the end of Best of Both Worlds, we're definitely supposed to think he would put it in her, so... yeah. <laughs> You know, I think it makes sense. Yeah, man, that was... Uh, how about your quick ones? Yeah. Um, Daedalus. Seems like a pretty cursed name for a class of ships. <laughs> you shouldn't do that. Um, they didn't Who know are this... Fortune's Greatest Fools? Let's <laughs> name our ships after them. <laughs> they didn't know this at the time. But the universe runs on thought. 
Yeah, I know. Uh, so <laughs> I'd expect irony probably plays a role also. <laughs> yeah, looking back at it, definitely a big mistake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you, you mean? The USS Sisyphus had a great run. <laughs> <laughs> do you think that uh, because O'Brien missed lunch with Molly this one time, uh, he never had to feed her again, just like our dad with his broken wrist and changing diapers? <laughs> Because it was the big day. It was the big day, finally. The finally kids are the old day enough that learn I, how to do it. I will change diapers now because I decreed arbitrarily that it must be on this day. But unfortunately, out of my control. broke my wrist. I have broken my wrist. It's very broken. Don't check on it. It's broken. See the cast? I cannot change diapers ever again. You um, know, Sneeno is taking a lot of L's on this show. Yes. Our father, R.I.P. Yeah, he's taken a few. Um, hey, there must be fifty other dudes like Riker who hate Rolaren <laughs> and are just perpetually pissed off that she's in Picard's inner circle now, just getting sent with Jordy to stun everyone. And everybody had a friend on the. Um... I'm gonna say US. Lexington. I don't think it was. U.S.S. <laughs> whatever, where she did the thing she did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if Wesley was still on board, he would have noticed that Picard said the Essex was captained by Bryce Schumer and Troy introduced herself as Bryce Schumar, but I guess <laughs> he's probably trying to weasel his way onto the flight demonstration team right now or something. Yeah, plus, you know, there was no phonetic pronunciation guide on that name when Picard read it. He was just guessing. I mean, it could be. Uh, by the way, Picard is the one person in the universe who should believe this story coming out of Troy. He has been energy in a space cloud. He for made real. a P on the console. He did. He was a powerful P entity. P for Picard, someone said. <laughs> he was a powerful entity, and he made a P on the panel. He's been energy in space. Was that a prank? Did he do that to see how long it would take them to notice the P? <laughs> It's like, I wonder how long. I know these idiots. I've seen these guys at work. They don't even look at their fucking consoles most of the time. They're just chatting it up on the bridge. I'm going to put a P here and see if anyone sees it. Look, the dude only had a little bit of energy, and he was like, what do these guys know about me? (laughs) They know my name. P. (laughs) He meant to type a card, but he just ran out of juice. Yeah. Well, he wrote it too big. He wrote it too big, and that was the problem. Should have used 12 point. God damn it. Uh, Also... If Picard had ever seen Archer in action, he'd believe an early Starfleet captain could, say, take hostages. Yeah. And pretend the Vulcan's the executioner. The ship's executioner. (laughs) Yes. I am giving best actor to Smug Worf not falling for any of Data's bullshit. Mm Mm-hmm. And worst actor to Miles saying, I gave you that while looking at a bracelet we don't see and a baby we do see. <laughs> I definitely thought he meant the baby. Yeah. And I don't like, know oh, if you're weird. supposed to, or yeah. he just has d- delivered it in such an ambiguous way. I don't know what he thought an evil alien presence was, and I don't blame him for not knowing. You know? But, but this is seem, not what he does. Did it seem like his conception of it was maybe a little rapier than the script's conception of it, though? <laughs> I mean, he's given some real nasty fucking Cro-Magnon leering looks in this one, for sure. Oh, boy. Well, uh, let's congratulate the Star Trek franchise on its worst week so far. Oh, good. 
the average score this week was 13. I think you had previously discovered that the low was in the 16s. 16 and a half or something, yeah. So that's mm. bad. Yeah, um, we had a week, you know, the week with Night Terrors, Shattered Mirror, Living Witness, which I gave a zero. You did. You blanked it. And Affliction was uh, a no, combined 16.5. Yeah, yeah that, that was rough. That was rough for sure, but... Um, this week, in last place, we have Deep Space Nine with business as usual. Mm. Hey guys, it's not fun when one of the main cast is a terrible criminal. Just uh, does all the crimes. Yeah. Just think of a crime, he'll do it. Like, not like Garrick, you know Garrick's done some shit, right? Yeah. That but was in Qu- the name of patriotism or whatever. But Quark does it and it's supposed to be funny? Yeah. Yeah, I expect we were supposed to laugh about those uh, sex crimes he put into the contracts with the ladies. Second place uh, this week, meaning they'll get their actual theme next week. (laughs) Voyager, someone to watch over me, got 13 points. Man, they did such a bad job and they got out of the basement. (laughs) And um, and we have another record this week. (laughs) Previously, the worst ever winning score was 22 points, but the winner this week... TNG power play only 15 it's so far below the other number it's extremely bad <laughs> but, no, man records are meant to be broken this is this is what we do here that's what they say a win is a win though and uh with 47 they're back uh, up to nine on top of deep space nine mm, but everyone's average fell voyager the voyager cast all very mad that um that characterization was actually green for power play this week. I know there is one green and, square in here. And by the way, in an episode when three of the characters are not themselves, <laughs> which we usually don't score well. No, maybe they were the three that were going to fuck it up this week. We just got lucky. I mean, it could be. Uh, Troy is a wild card, depending on who has written the show for her that and week. Data is usually very bad. Data when he shows up is often bad. So yeah. So yeah, it's uh, forty-seven for the next generation. Congrats. That's week 114. Yeah, boy. Well, maybe this is rock bottom. Maybe boy. it's just fucking badass from here on out. I mean, I guess we'll see next maybe week. Maybe it's just like 40s across the board. It's probably nothing but 40s, right? <laughs> <laughs> next week, uh, we are watching for TNG Ethics. That'll uh, probably have points in the front end, huh? I mean, I think it has to, but we've been disappointed before. Uh, maybe we will be very disappointed by Picard telling Riker he should probably go kill Worf. Yeah, I'm sorry. I thought you guys were friends. Friends. So maybe stab your friend in the head or whatever he's asking you to do. Jesus. I can't believe I have to tell you this. About friendship. Uh, Deep Space Nine, we're watching Ties of Blood and Water. Yeah, man, I don't remember what that title is. but nah. uh, that's That's uh, in between two Ferengi episodes, so... So it's another Frankie episode? <laughs> Could be. <laughs> and for Voyager, I have the pleasure of describing the episode. Point 1159. Not, oh, right. <laughs> not, not 0.49735514 or whatever. <laughs> it's not even easy math to do. Like, I can't just get out a calculator and do it quickly. Look, man, I predict you're going to be extremely disappointed by this episode. <laughs> oh, an episode <laughs> by about... By having to write it. New Year's Eve 2000? How about instead of writing the description, you rewrite the episode instead and Ah. present that as your homework, and we'll see how many points are scored. Can we get enough people (laughs) together to do a table read? 
<laughs> I don't know. We call. We can try to call in the uh, game night crew. Just I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if we can have enough. Oh, uh, you know what? A lot of this takes place. It's kind of like a. It's kind of a two or three hander actually for most of it. All right then. Well, it's possible. We'll, we'll take a look. But now it sounds like I still have to watch this episode before I rewrite it. So. Oh yeah, you got to watch it, and then you got to rewrite it. <laughs> and also, I have to buy. What's the script writing software that people use? God damn it. Um, engorged. Let's say that. that that's engorged. <laughs> it's engorged. Um, that's our next Star Trek week, but next week is a mailbag. Yeah. Send us mail for the mailbag. It's yeah. basically usually only Ryan and me. I don't want to get people too excited about this, but we have two audio segments for the next. No. Yeah, for the next podcast. Did you mean for me to get very excited? Like, I meant for me to get fully torqued, if like that's what you're Like Nesca's excited? Yes. Oh, it's intact, Matt. Oh, Jesus. Hold on a second. <laughs> All right. But yeah, please do write into the mailbag. The yes. more mailbag you do, the less I have to ask Matt about news radio. That's just <laughs> the way it goes. <laughs> if there's enough Honestly. mailbag, I don't got to do it. I was going to look at, I was going to see what happens in this next mailbag, and then I was just going to suggest that instead of the non-Star Trek episodes, we only do Star Trek episodes every other week, and then we play the pirate game <laughs> on the other week. You're just trying to get another pirate session in. Look, guys, last time I, I started cooking some pork, I was like, I'm going to cook up this pork. I killed a pig on an island. I'm going to cook this pork. And then because of distracted. my memory, because my memory is so bad now. That I was like, all right, let's go to the island and sell some stuff. And I just forgot about that pork. And let me tell you, this game knows. This game is smart enough to know that I forgot the pork on the pan. Because then we Judah looked back over. Like, Why is our ship on fire? <laughs> I assumed we'd been infiltrated. Until we got in I, there and I saw the burned pork. <laughs> I left the oven on in the game, guys. <laughs> Think of how dangerous I am around here. <laughs> it's not good. I'm really like, I'm not supposed to have dementia already but it's i think we're pretty close to like a clinical definition of dementia at this look, point look we did one mailbag a month for nine months while we were talking about the star wars movies so yeah it's possible i'm it's just saying possible. i was gonna use this one as an evaluation but it sounds like we're gonna maybe get some stuff yeah unfortunately so. it's fucking jam-packed so all right well i'll have to pirate it up some other time i guess uh yes yeah, send us mail that's that brother date on the Twitter machine, um, brothers at brotherdate.com is the email. Brotherdate.com is the web zone. And, uh, you know, podcatchers, more like pod wretchers. There you go. That's, I gotta, I'll start coming up with them beforehand. Oh, um, uh, as you believe, so shall you do, so shall you do, as you believe, believe, so so shall you do. There we go. Out. (laughs) They don't know that she is childlike, even though they wrote it on purpose. So they're like, well, she's good to go. Look at the boobs. I I don't understand what you're saying. I can see your butt crack. She's good for, she's good to go. I mean, I... Please subscribe.